Oh, hi. I'm Crystal, your favorite hairy lady from RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 1. And men's Olympic gymnastics made me queer. <laughs> Spare a thought for all those little boys and girls watching men's Olympic gymnastics right now, discovering something new about themselves. <laughs> Welcome to The Things That Made Me Queer, the podcast that explores queer identities using the pop culture and personal moments that shaped us. Each week, I will interview a special guest who will bring a person, a place, a piece of music, a film or TV series, and a wild card that helps them understand, accept, or embrace their queerness. Fabulous. This week's guest on the podcast is my friend, fellow drag artist, local legend, and rising star, Titi Bang. You might have seen Titi on Channel 4's Drag SOS as one of the hosts slash mentors. Definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. You might have also seen her dancing on a podium in a club in front of a superstar DJ in Ibiza or London or New York. You can also catch her and me on Drag Karaoke Club on ITV2 later this year. Titi was actually the first person I ever saw angle grind on stage. And she has helped me with my makeup in a dressing room on more than one occasion. Um, so I'm so glad she's on the podcast today. It's really, really fun to just have a chat with a friend. Titi is also the first guest on this podcast I've had that I actually got to interview in person. So we were sitting on couches while we did this, which was really novel. Who needs Zoom? Um, and we have a really wonderful conversation about her colorful childhood, about small town high streets, um, about women who do drag, and about the power of clubbing. So I think you're really going to like the episode. Um, Titi is one of the most creative, talented, fiercest, and most fiery drag artists I know. So yeah, let's welcome her to the podcast. It's Titi Bang! Titi. How are you? Great, how are you? I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited, I'm excited too. Chat. I was just saying, this is my first podcast in person. <laughs> how cute. It's like the pandemic isn't even happening. <laughs> <laughs> are you, do you feel like it's really different because it's in person? Yeah, I've, I've actually like really hated doing it over Zoom because yeah. I feel like you can't really get into a natural flow. Yeah. Um, if the internet goes off or something, it's yeah, just like... exactly. And I've had a few of those. I've had one podcast. I'm not going to tell you which one. Listeners, you can see if you can find out that my audio didn't record for the last third, so I had to re-record it, pretending I was reacting. No. <laughs> <laughs> She's an actress. That showed face. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. We've been friends for how long? I don't know, like seven. Five, six, I don't know. Something like, around. yeah, a long time, a long time. You were there probably for my first attempt at drag. Yeah, I remember it vaguely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know what, I honestly didn't even remember that until you mentioned it recently when we were together. And I'd forgotten all about the dressing room situation we were on, which was basically a piece of scaffolding. Yes, it was a piece of scaffolding above the stage. That, yeah. Like, you could potentially fall through any and die. minute. Onto the stage, like you would die publicly. I think I've like blocked that out of my memory because <laughs> it's like mild trauma. <laughs> and you've got the venue owner like 
coked up coming in hitting on yeah, everyone on everyone every gender just yeah. like and there's like spiral staircase as well that always felt like it could fall down at any moment yep. and one time that place caught on fire <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> no, no, it's still going. Oh, is it? No. <gasps> oh my god, I didn't even know that. That's terrible. Drag. We've moved on, though. We've moved on. <laughs> yeah, but you were there. I think. Yeah, that was probably like my second or third attempt at drag, and and you were just like you took one look at my face and like, oh, babes, come here, <laughs> like stuck some strategic glitter, some rhinestones. Yeah. Helped me with a lash. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you did. But I like, do always it, offer a hand. If I see someone struggling, I'm always be like, maybe you should try this. Or do you want to try this? Or can I help you? Well, please. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. It, it basically showed me what the potential was. Yeah. I think it gave me the uh, the impetus to like try and continue. This was a time like kind of pre YouTube drag as well. Mm-hmm. It, it, there wasn't this whole like go and watch a makeup tutorial on YouTube. We didn't even have as many like draggy makeup products like we definitely didn't have products that were specifically made for drag queens like oh we, no we were really just like making the most of what we had which was like barry m and sleek yes <laughs> oh sleek um i think what i had yes oh sleek um i think what i had r- watched and i think it was the only thing available was miss fame i think miss fame had done and this is before she was on drag race as well but like she used to do youtube videos and she was very good at I mean, she's obviously very good at drag. Yeah, yeah. I've heard she's, she's, quite, she's good. quite good at makeup. She's I don't fine. know if you've heard, um, <laughs> but uh, that was like the only thing you could watch. Yeah, and that was the makeup tutorial that existed. I don't think I ever saw that makeup tutorial, <laughs> and I think you can tell if you look at the early pictures of me in drag. <laughs> so, how long have you been doing drag? I'd say I've been doing it like as a career or as you know, I focused mm-hmm. my life for probably like seven years, like five years yeah. where I was like, oh, maybe this is becoming a job. I'd say like seven years of just yeah. consciously dressing up and going out and mm-hmm. making cabaret happen. Mm-hmm. But Did I mean, I was performing cabaret a little bit before that, but it was all about exploration in those days. You didn't yeah. come out and know what kind of drag queen you wanted to be or what kind of entertainer you wanted to be. You just kind of played around for a bit. And yeah. so... I mean, the beginning and the, where I am now, it was very natural progression. Did you call it burlesque back then? Yeah, I called it burlesque, I think, for a while, because that's basically where I saw people who had the same bodies as me performing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, so I must be doing that. And it wasn't until, like, my first ever performance was at Madame Jojo's in London for Burlesque Idol, where I'd been going, like, every week and volunteering to show people to their seats so I could watch the show and then one week someone dropped out and they called me and they were like oh do you want to perform um and kind of when I started to get into the burlesque scene I realized quite quickly that I was quite different from the other <laughs> girls that were doing burlesque <laughs> so yeah I mean there's elements of it obviously but it wasn't until I started going out to like queer spaces where I was like oh and people started calling me a drag queen after a certain point. And I was like, okay, maybe this is where I fit in more than the burlesque scene. It's interesting that it took other people using, using the, the word, word about, about you. you. Oh, yeah. I never called myself a drag queen at first. I was just like, I'm just a fabulous being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's dress up and go out. But, but there also wasn't this like drag boom yet. Yeah. That hadn't happened. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like, I mean, there, the line between burlesque and drag is basically 
non-existent. No, it's not. It doesn't actually exist. Yeah. So there, like wherever that line is, I don't, I don't know where it is, but like you definitely bring burlesque, some burlesque yeah. sensibilities to your drag. As I just well. like taking my clothes yeah. off. Yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> I like taking my clothes yeah. off. It no. happens to be that that's what we call burlesque. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. Uh, I had another question for you. Oh, I didn't ask the most important thing, which I always ask at the beginning. Um, how do you identify and what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, they, call me what you want, either of those I'm totally fine with. And I identify as queer. As queer. Yeah. What is simple. And what does that mean to you? That means that my gender identity and my sexuality are ever changing. <laughs> We're learning as we go along. We're flexible, you know. I love we, that. Yeah. I think, yeah, queer is such a great word that way because it can mean a bazillion different yeah. things. I realized that, like, you know, obviously when you first, well, when I first come out, it was very like, okay, what are you going to identify as? You need to, like, tell people who you are. Um, and and then I'd give myself labels and then I'd outgrow those labels. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm not that thing anymore. Like maybe I'm this thing. So I'll call myself this. And then it got to a point where I was like, this is just boring now. So I'm just going to call myself queer and that's it. I think that really says how far we've come as queers because yeah. we did use, and we needed the labels a while ago because it helped other people understand. Yeah. I think that's why, anyway, like, that's why I needed gay, because so, people could really understand what that was. Yeah, and it's mainly heterosexual people, but yeah. you're trying oh, yeah, to, like, exactly. that's in yourself yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> and I feel like queer is a, is a way of being like, I don't really particularly care if you understand. Yeah, I think you get to a point where you're just like, I don't care anymore, this is who I am, mm -hmm. like it or lump it. Mm -hmm. And it's the same, I mean, it's the same kind of trajectory with, like, what you were saying about performing and drag, like, all of those things can become limiting to a point, and it's Labels are useful because yeah. they help us understand each other, but they're also limiting. Yeah, they are very limiting. And I think the sooner we kind of like try and get rid of a few of them, or maybe we need more words. I don't know if it's more or less. I haven't figured it out yet. Because <laughs> I once said, I, I used to always say like, gender is over. And then what it was cheddar, cheddar gorgeous was like, maybe this is the beginning of gender. Maybe oh, gender isn't over. Maybe we're gonna, big I know. And then I was like... <laughs> Well, she is like a mentor to me. And I was like, wow, well, that, that is the question. Is this the end of gender or is this the beginning of gender? Wow. Are we going to have more words to describe or ourselves less, yeah. or less? <laughs> maybe, maybe, there'll there'll be more more words. maybe there'll be more words, but we need to use less of them about ourselves. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> 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 well, TT, should we get into the things that made you queer? Go on then. Person. Okay, so your first item is your person. And you have said your mum. I mean, how many people say their mum? Is that like you're the first? You're no. the first. Really? Oh. Uh, uh, you know, maybe everyone listening is gonna regret this. Regret <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't love your mums enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so where where did you grow up? Talk oh, to me about your early it's life. a very complicated story. It's, <laughs> you know what? When I was growing up, I really wanted to be normal because I felt like my upbringing wasn't normal. Mm -hmm. My mum was a single mum. We, I was born in the Lake District in the north of England, and then we moved around quite a lot. So when I was about six, we moved to Wales, and then when I was ten, we moved to Spain, and then when I was fifteen, we moved back to the Lake District at my request. 
Um, and my mum was kind of on her own journey of self acceptance and self love. She's, you know, we're really working class and she didn't have a lot. Um, she worked in the adult entertainment industry oh, really? as a stripper, basically from like the late mid eighties to, well, like, I don't know, 2010 or something. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something I'm, I'm definitely like finding the power in. And for a long time growing up, especially, we didn't tell people because, mm-hmm. you know, we lived on like a council estate sometimes. We lived in a caravan sometimes. We've lived in a Volvo. We've, you know, there's been some turbulent times. Um, but she's really tried to make the most of what she had mm-hmm. and the limiting options that maybe she was given. Um, so she is like the biggest inspiration to me because she's so strong and powerful and like, she's such a feminist without even really knowing what feminism is just from like her lived experience Mm -hmm. and how the world perceives her. And she's really queer and radical, but maybe like doesn't see the power in it yet as well. So that kind of brushed off onto me. And like, you just didn't tell people that your mom did this for a job because it wasn't cool to be like a sex worker or to be a stripper in the nineties. It wasn't, it was still like very taboo, especially if you're working class and a single mom. Mm -hmm. Um, But she did live very ferociously and she never hid anything from me. She was always really open and honest. And even at times where we didn't have money, she would tell me, she'd be like, we don't, we don't have any money now. We need to make some decisions, <laughs> which I mean, is probably, I mean, some people think it's questionable parenting, but I came out all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm doing fine. She's doing fine. But yeah, she's just like the biggest inspiration to me. And she really taught me about the using femininity as a commodity and like how it's not real, that you can use your gender and your sexuality as a way to make money from cis men <laughs> and the mainstream and also live and you know she's like quite a bit of, she's a bit of a hippie I mean she's a real hippie now it's kind of gone wild um but she would be like this drab mom wearing lots of natural fibers and she's really into like interpretive dance wow. <laughs> but then she would like transform herself and every weekend I would like go to the babysitter and I'd be recording the top 40 in the front room and she'd be doing her makeup and she'd put on like her gold lipstick and a long fur coat and she would go into the night and become like a different person in front of my very eyes. So. Wow. <laughs> you didn't have a chance. I had no chance in hell. <laughs> I always tell her that. I'm like, you're so lucky, mom. You know, I could have been, I could have went really off the rails. You know, I was exposed to a lot of things that maybe like the mainstream don't think that kids should be exposed to. Like I did, understand what the sex industry was from a young age and I did see um, unfortunately see a lot of drugs and I did you know come close and dabble with experiencing homelessness as a child but I really think that the honesty that my mom had with me helped me get through it because it wasn't like she wasn't playing pretend like I feel like you know when I was a teenager I was like oh I want I wish you were normal mom I wish you'd like we had a house and you could stay at home and bake for me and (laughs) and like be a normal mom, whatever a normal mom is. But then I see like the honesty that she has as a woman and with her femininity that a lot of like my friend's moms don't have. Mm -hmm. They don't, they're not 
um, willing to show their flaws or to show their vulnerabilities. And actually, mm-hmm. there's a real power in being able to accept, you know, what you do and who you are. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, homelessness is something that no child should have to experience, but that isn't directly correlated to sex no. work. No, 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 no. And, you know, I've had conversations with my mom because what I felt as a child in the feeling of being like this, like when we lived in a Volvo for for about six months, <laughs> um, I asked my mom about that as an adult. And I was like, did you think that like, was this a conscious choice? And she was like, yeah, it was kind of a conscious choice. You know, she does have, um, she does have like repeating patterns of behavior to do with like her own trauma and experiences. So she tends to run away from her problems a lot, which is why we moved. Like if something ever happened or a breakup or mainly a breakup, mainly men involved, (laughs) we would move, like we would just move. And so when I felt quite vulnerable at that time, living in a car, my mom didn't make it feel unsafe. But then as an adult, I've looked back and been like, I didn't feel secure it's it's really it's really complex because I didn't feel secure, but she felt secure when we were there. She was like, "We were fine, you know. We I was looking after us. We were doing what we were doing. You were safe." But for me, that experience was slightly different to her experience. Yeah, of it. yeah. <laughs> she felt quite free, I think, in that right. moment because, like, you know, she would we'd live in a house for a bit and then she'd get rid of the house. Like now, she lives in a mobile home. Like that is just who she is. She likes to be able to drop everything and move. Um, I'm getting Cher in Mermaid's vibe. Ah, oh my God. My mom does actually look loads like Cher as well. She's got like wild black hair. I post pictures of her sometimes on my social media. Like there's a few from the days where she was working. Like she'd go away and work in Amsterdam and work in clubs and and wear amazing clothes and be in nightlife like the same way that we do now. Um, and we have lo- I have loads of fun images, but she doesn't. She still hasn't found the power in it yet. I think, you know, she still has things that she has to deal with from being in that industry because I don't think nightlife was as kind to working class women in those days as yeah. maybe it's a bit a bit more now. Yeah. But I don't think even still it's not near as safe as it could be. No, of course. What does she think about you kind of following in her footsteps in it to a degree? Do you know what? She... She said she wished she'd she'd have gone down the cabaret route. Like she's like, because right. she's really expressive. She loves dancing. She loves dressing up. Like she's a show off, which is I guess why she got into ended up being a stripper. But there's the sort of like sex element that's attached to stripping meant that she had traumatic experiences. So she sees my drag now as me having like the best parts of what she had. And then also the extended queer family that I have, like she really, really admires that. She thinks it's amazing. And like, I guess she kind of wishes that she had that support network when she was doing nightlife because then maybe her memories of it would be better. Mm. But she loves it. I mean, she's so proud of me. That's so cool. cool. Um, She sounds wonderful. She's quite an experience. Like she's quite an intense person. (laughs) But the older I've got, the more I really admire it because she does live life very ferociously and very honestly. And it's maybe not always what people want or like the mainstream doesn't want a woman to live like this, but she still does it. Like even now when she's like, like before the pandemic, she was like, I'm, I'm, I'm dropping my house and I'm moving to Portugal and I've bought a new caravan, another one. (laughs) 
I was like, I don't think you should do this. Like, we're about to go into a global pandemic. I don't think it's a good move. And even then she's like, I don't care. I'm doing it. So (laughs) she's still there now. She's having a great time. But, you know, I respect that. Yeah. (laughs) Knowing you. You are also a person who lives ferociously, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I'm definitely like, I always say I'm like a watered down version of my mom. I also have the privilege of being able to look at my mom's experience and life experience as an outsider and learn some lessons from it and like take the good bits and take the bad bits, you know? Um, what would, before we move on, what would you say? Cause you mentioned, you know, society doesn't think children should be exposed to things like sex or this, yeah. like that kind of industry. Like, how do you feel about that? Having been on the other side of that? I think that we need to be much more honest with our children, especially around sex work or drugs as well. I think that we can have much more productive conversations with our kids if we share our own experiences with our kids and not be ashamed of them. Because, you know, even um, like women that don't work in the adult entertainment industry have experiences where that are negative around sex and sexual assault and quite often never tell their daughters And so their daughters are going into the world really naive to this experience and this behavior, and they're not prepared for it. Whereas if women were having these honest conversations and being like, this is what's happened to me. This is what you can learn from it. We could be putting out women that are much more prepared to like navigate the world as it changes. I mean, obviously we should be teaching boys like (laughs) to behave properly, but we also do have to be aware that there are risks. And especially in nightlife, my mom very was very open with me about being like these are the things you know there was like she's very honest around the amount of times that she was sexually assaulted in nightclub spaces and there's certain clubs even now that I mention and she's like oh no I can't ever go to that club or because of the experiences that she had in those spaces being a cis woman um so it did I feel like it did prepare me for sleazy promoters (laughs) and people that are going to take advantage of you and just like knowing your worth and knowing how to keep yourself safe in those spaces. Love that. That's like kind of the answer that I always give to people when people are like, oh, you're sexualizing children or like drag queens aren't appropriate for children. Like, no, kids just need to be exposed to these things and have these honest, but it's great to hear it from someone who actually was exposed at an early age that like, there's lots of positives in it and maybe there were some negatives and it's made too, me but... so like i am really i'm a really sex positive person like my mom had a like a foot fetish client for years like one client who would shower her with shoes and expensive nail varnishes and take her out and he used to buy me like really good christmas presents <laughs> <laughs> like he bought me this britney spears calendar once that i was obsessed with and he would like buy me just like really fun gifts and i got to meet him and he had the most amazing collection of shoes like you've ever seen in his entire life. He took me to go and see Jerry's boots that she wore at the Brits because he knew where they were. And he like took me to go and see them. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, it really normalized it because I also recognize that like, this is like a really normal person. Like he's really, he's actually really kind and a considerate person. And he did really look after me and my mom and they had a really good relationship. And because I was open to it, like as an adult, when people like, open up to you about kinks and things i was just like yeah that's totally fine yeah. like you're still a valid normal human being yeah. 
And also, it turns out if you've got a foot fetish, you're going to have some interesting, useful information for me. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Where so. are they? <laughs> it's like the flip side of a foot fetish that you don't often think of. No. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like looking at knowledge. Where are their shoes? Where are their shoes? <laughs> I love it. Okay, let's move on to the next item that made you queer. Film or TV series? Uh, oh, perfect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the next thing is your film, and you've given Spice, Spice World. World. Oh, the best film ever made. <laughs> I mean, I am a millennial queer person so obviously the Spice Girls had a huge impact on my life yeah. because it kind of correlates to my mom because she was always like girl power like we need to promote girl power and so I was really encouraged to love the Spice Girls in a big way <laughs> I was like okay you're into the Spice Girls this is great right. like I wasn't into boy bands at all I never got that I mean a lot of it is very telling as to maybe why I didn't like boy bands now mm. because of, of the people I date. But <laughs> I was all about girl power. My mom really, really pushed it. But the Spice Girls did like really, they embodied so many different things. You know, they all have their own personality. There was fashion. There was boldness. There was feminism. There was everything you needed as a young person going into the world. And Spice World the movie has everything in it. Yeah everything happens like it really shows you that you can have whatever you want <laughs> like you can be a spice girl you can be in a sci-fi movie you can be in a spy movie you can be in a drama you can swim in the thames like anything is possible and i didn't know until i was an adult watching it back that the spice bus inside is not a real bus <laughs> I believe the fantasy so much. <laughs> I didn't recognize like, as a kid that the bus is not that big inside. You can't have a swing and a fish tank and a runway. <laughs> I just like, it's just so fun and camp and kitsch and British and powerful. So uh, how old were you when you kind of discovered the Spice Girls and uh, what was going on in your life then? So at the time we were living on this really rough street, like rough as in there was a lot, it was a lot of poverty. It was like council predominantly. It was kind of where they, it was this one street in our town where they really put like the most deprived families basically. Mm -hmm. um, and there was someone that lived opposite me and I would just, looking back, I, I went to her house every day because her parents never worked and my mom would be going out and doing her thing. And they were, her family was really into music. And so when Wannabe came out, they put it on for me. I don't even remember the first time I heard it. I feel like it's always been there. But I just remember we would like go out on the street, me and my friend, we'd get other girls from the neighborhood and we would like reenact the Spice Girls. I would always have to be scary because no one ever wanted to be scary, which says a lot about like Northern England. <laughs> but I was willing to have my hair back home to have big hair. If that's what needs that to that happen. No, <laughs> I will take this role and I will play the part well. <laughs> um, and I feel like there was like a level of escapism in the Spice Girls as well for a lot of people because they were these like, role models that you could aspire to and they had stories that were similar to ours you know of coming from what we 
were told were like working class backgrounds and from just normal places they had accents like ours and and yeah I guess it was escapism and fabulous costumes and girl power (laughs) when did you how old were you when you started to think about your queerness and that those things intersect at all or is this later I think my queerness didn't come until I don't know because if I look back now, I can see how I, I was a very loud kid. I was really quite a loud person that liked to take up space. Like I loved to put on a show. I would put on a show for anybody that would sit and watch me do a show. <laughs> and I feel like my, my queerness in my identity came from quite young, from being like, even like going to school discos. Like I used to go to school discos. It, I would always wear my mum's fur coats which would be like a statement and because I did get to dress up in a lot of my mum's stuff I was kind of expressing my identity and my campness from a really really young age because I was allowed to do it like my mum really did just say like have fun play dress up it was every day I could just wear what I wanted to wear and there was no real um boundaries in terms of how I wanted to play with my aesthetic ever in my life like she always said like just wear what you want express yourself how you want um so I guess that part of my identity has kind of always always been there I guess sort of like sexuality side of things came a bit later on I kind of just wanted to be a Spice Girl I didn't fancy any Spice Girls I wanted to be one got it I don't think I knew I couldn't be a Spice Girl until until they broke up I mean, even then I was like, I could replace Jerry if you want. (laughs) I'm ready. I'm seven years old and I'm ready. (laughs) I mean, you never know. It still could happen. I wasn't really attracted to people until I was a teenager. I didn't really have any interest in... I think that's pretty common. Oh, some people do. Some yeah, people, some like, people do. Kids that like love boy band members or they really fancy someone they see on TV. I just like didn't care about that i was more i was probably a bit too self-obsessed that's what i'm saying (laughs) it's like no it's about me (laughs) (laughs) well i'd say that you've done a pretty good job since of um turning yourself into a spice girl thank you yeah well done i think (laughs) when people ask me they're like what what did you want to be when you grow up i always say spice girl so i just think it's the truest thing like that's the only thing i can tell you that i honestly wanted to be what would your spice be I don't know. It would have to be given to me. You can't, I don't yeah. think you can decide your own. Because it was given to them. By, I like, mean, radio Titty Spice is quite good. Titty Spice is quite good. Yeah. Glitter <laughs> Spice. Mm. I feel like someone needs to tell me what it is. Maybe I need to get one of the Spice Girls to tell me what my spice is. I'm sure that can happen. I'm sure like it can. You're only like one degree of separation from probably all of I've them. I've met right? a few of them. Yeah. I mean, it's never as fun as you think it's going to be. No. No. Mel C did come to Glitterbox in Ibiza and that was she was very very nice she got so trashed it was great I think Mel C seems like the one that you'd yeah. have the most fun with yeah, yeah 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 I really wish that Mel B had kind of had a nicer time in the industry because mm. I feel like she was a really fun party girl but I feel like a lot of shit stuff's happened to her from yeah. the industry yeah but I, I would like to sit down and have a chat with her one day well, you heard it here. <laughs> no, I hear her Call me. Call me. Uh, Chichi wants to have a chat and she's waiting for her spice name. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Next item. Place. Up next, we've got your place. Oh, I can't wait to say this. <laughs> um, you have given the high street in your hometown 
Cockermouth. Hmm? Cockermouth High Street. Ha ha ha, so funny. So funny. So funny. So funny. So funny. Do you know, I was that's where we moved to. When I was like 14 or 15, we moved back to England and we moved because I wanted to live a normal life. Okay. <laughs> so I said to my mum, I want to go home and do my GCSEs because I was in a Spanish school at the time. Um, and I also wanted to be closer to like my dad's side of the family just so I like had a relationship with them because mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't, I had this idea of like what life should be like. Mm-hmm. I was still being like, I need to be near a family, in a school, living in a house. A, at the time I would, like, was sharing a caravan with my mom. It was like no privacy and you're like a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, you're starting to really explore yourself. Um, so we moved back to Cockermouth, which was like the town next to where my mum would come from. And it was like a bit nicer and there was a better school there, basically. Because my mum was like, fine, you wouldn't do your GCSE, you're going to a, like a reputable school. I mean, my schooling experience was traumatic. So <laughs> but she was trying her best. Yeah. You know, I get I get the intent. Um, Cockermouth is a lovely town. But when you're a queer woman, like oh, at the time I was calling myself a lesbian, living in a town called Cockermouth and you have to tell people you're from Cockermouth was humiliating. I don't want to say the word cock. I don't yeah. mind now. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're like 14 and you're like, we actually used to call it nobbing gob. Wow, that's good. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like another place that could exist. <laughs> no, Bingov. But yeah, so Cockermouth High Street, it's a very, very small high street. The high street is probably like 200 meters long. But every day I would walk to school up the high street, past the bus stop. And on the opposite side of the bus stop, going in the opposite direction where I was going, there used to be this person that I used to see and me and my best friend used to walk past them every day. And this was sort of um, at the beginning slash middle of the emo movement, okay, which I very strongly identified yeah. with. I started to get very sad um, sort of in my early adolescence and kind of realized that I was a bit too loud from like the mainstream and I had a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings and emo was really like coming into play in society. So I kind of gravitate towards that. Yeah. That's quite a lot of queer people, it turns yeah. out, partook in the yeah. emo movement. Like, oh, yeah. All of the emo boys that I was friends with are all raging homosexuals yeah. now. <laughs> boys, gay now. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're an emo, you're now doing drag. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the rule. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I was like into this emo movement and I would walk to school every day and the opposite side of the road, I used to see this person and I'm going to use terminology now, which I used to say, which is not good. Like this is not PC, but we used to refer to this person as boy girl mm-hmm. <laughs> because this person had like the long floppy fringe, like covering their entire face, like stripy jeans, baggy t-shirts. And there wasn't many emos around. So you you really notice them when you notice them. And this person, I just thought was like the sexiest person I'd ever seen in my entire life. And up until this point, I'd like had, you know, quote unquote boyfriends at school, but I didn't really like do anything with them in terms of like sexy stuff. It was mainly just because like I actually had more in common with a lot of boys than mm-hmm. I did girls. I actually preferred their company. <laughs> um, I used to walk past boy girl every day 
And I used to tell all my friends, I was like, Boy Girl is so hot. I just think they're so hot. I fancy them so much. And it turned out they used to go to like the sixth form that was down the road, the opposite direction. And then one of my friends was dating a boy that went to the sixth form. And they came in one day and they said, Boy Girl is not a boy, but they are a girl. <laughs> and it was like someone had taken a blindfold off my eyes wow. and just... I just, I didn't even care. I was just like, oh my God, that is amazing. Like I am attracted to that, that energy. Like I'd never even spoken to them before. Um, And I just, yeah, it was like just seeing somebody, what I didn't realize being visibly queer, like completely just made me understand everything. So up until this point, you'd only seen this person across the street. Yeah. Yeah. And you thought they were a femme Boy. Yeah, I just thought they were like a really. And it turned yeah. out they were a butchy yeah, girl. Yeah, butchy girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think looking back, we would probably call it non-binary, but there wasn't really that right. language at the time. Right. Um, yeah, and then basically, my friend whose boyfriend went to the sixth form one day, we had like a local festival, and they introduced me to boy girl, and then we literally became inseparable ever since. We were together for five years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I like, I literally instantly turned into a horny teenager and like we were inseparable. Like we were just constantly together, constantly snogging. And this was like, we met in the school holidays. And by the time I went back to school to do my GCSEs, everybody knew. And it was like the hot news in the town that I was a lesbian and that I had a girlfriend. Wow. It was actually really traumatic. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it was it was more like the other people around me didn't get it and obviously we did get a lot of abuse we were constantly being harassed verbally physically like it wasn't a safe environment to be in but we were just like so in love like in the a way that like only naive teenagers are where it's like you can't even keep your hands on each other you don't care you don't really understand like I didn't know there would be repercussions. I I actually hadn't realized that people would have such strong feelings about it. Mm -hmm. I was just like following my emotions Mm -hmm. and that's where I ended up. (laughs) Wow. Did boy, girl... I I don't even know how much we should refer to them because I probably shouldn't say their name. But I am... We actually ended up moving out of of the hometown and we moved to London together. So when I was 18, we left. Right. It was kind of my decision. I was like, we need to get out of here. We had been like attacked, like jumped, which is like where we got followed by a couple of men, like beaten up. And like, that was really when, like during that whole time, although I was like madly in love with this person, I was also incredibly depressed and like really, really sad. And a lot of that was because of the environment I was in. My mm-hmm. school did not give me support when I went back to the school. In fact, they said, like, if you don't want to get bullied, like, don't be gay in school. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, obviously, you would never say that now. Um, so, th- like, you know, there just wasn't the support from the community. And that's probably what made me really sad. Yeah. So I didn't see a future for myself. I was like, where does this go? Like, I don't see any people around me that are like queer and happy like do I have a future um and I feel like if I'd have I'd have been in a place where there was more queer visibility I probably would have not have been so sad and depressed yeah um but yeah we moved away when, when we turned 18 were there any other kids in your school that were out or no there was 
like I was friends with all of the gay boys, obviously, but none of them came out. Right. I mean, some of them it was like so obvious, but they just never came out because it was really unsafe. Like they yeah. would get physical violence more than like the verbal stuff. I got a lot of verbal stuff. Yeah. Um, and lots of like bitchy girl, teenage girl yeah. stuff that they would have got like physical violence. And so I completely understand why they didn't come out. There was a lesbian who was in sixth form, like two years above me, who I'm, you know, like when you're a queer adult and you see a young queer person and you're like, oh, you don't know yet. And like, it's kind of like really nice. You're like, oh, you're going to know one day. And this lesbian that was in the sixth form, she used to look at me and like smile at me all the time. And I'm pretty sure she knew. (laughs) But I look back at that and I'm like, yeah, she knew, didn't she? She knew I was going to be queer. (laughs) But no, no one was out. God. (laughs) It's like not even that long ago, but it sounds like a world away. I did become like the town gay. Yeah. Like everybody knew who we were. Like. Because we just like hang around in the park and on the streets and stuff, and like yeah, teens, a lot of it. That's what teens do. Yeah, that's what teens do. We did like all of the normal teenager stuff. It's just that then you're visible in public, and so everybody knew. Um, it was yeah. I think a lot of it have blocked out. Like I've had conversations with people I was friends with in school now that have come out as queer, and they said like, oh, like I they they'll tell me stories like. I remember when we were sat by the river and kids were throwing rocks at you. And I was like, I don't remember that. Like the fact you remember that. And they've always, a lot of these people have apologized. They've said like, I'm sorry, I didn't do anything. But I'm also like, yeah, you were also like 15 and you probably didn't know. But like so much stuff that happened during that period of time, I have just like blocked out of my memory, probably for survival. Being queer is having people apologize to you for stuff that you don't remember. Yeah. Oh my God, it so is. Yeah. Like quite a lot of people have come yeah. out in recent years, especially now because I've got like a profile and stuff. Like the minute you're on TV, everyone comes out of the woodwork and they're like, yeah. I'm so sorry. I was horrific you're like, to no, you no, in no, secondary school. Don't worry. School. Someone, was, someone was much more horrific to me. I remember yeah. that time. I don't remember that Yeah, one. it's true. And it's the people that like did like mild stuff. Like a girl I used to be friends with who used to have like health and social care. She apologized to me recently. She was like, I'm really sorry that I used to ask you like really intrusive questions about like sex in in class. But she was actually always quite nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> and like I and like she was friendly about it, you know, like she used to ask questions, but but it, it could tell it was because of intrigue and not because she thought it was gross and like yeah. wanted to know. And so I'd be like, but what well, you you weren't the problem, babe. <laughs> it was the girls that like got me kicked out of the changing room in PE because they thought I was perving on them. Like those were the kids that like caused actual trauma yeah not you and your teenage intrigue (laughs) oh brutal i guess like looking back at that time what do you think would have happened if you hadn't met that person and like would it have taken you longer to figure out would it have been easier once you know one you know them all and like there was so we used to go out to like rock the local like rock club when we were underage because they didn't used to id you in the olden days and there i met like two other queer people who I, one of them, unfortunately, took their own life a few years ago. Um, But one of them, I, there was, there became like a bit of like a lesbian love triangle for a lot of time where like, because I was quite femme and they were all quite butch. So I kind of had the pick of the lot. (laughs) (laughs) Which when you're like a horny teenager, like you do... He just like teenage lesbians are kind of wild. <laughs> like I'm sure it's the same for like young gay men, but we are quite incesty, and so there was a lot of like 
sleeping with each other and like cheating on each other and then getting back together and it was all like very teenage dramatic yeah, yeah. i did meet another person there um and i mean now they identify as trans and we have a we're really really close still and i feel like i would have met them as well and we did all meet so if it wasn't wasn't the person i met on the high street it would have been someone else eventually I feel like it was my time was coming, yeah. you know, it was coming yeah. and it was going to hit me as soon as I saw like a butch woman. I think that was it. <laughs> it's like that, like it's that energy. And there's like a definite energy because I will say that I'm not 100% about the first person because I actually don't have contact with them anymore, but I've heard that they have, but everybody I've dated has transitioned um everybody i've had like really meaningful relationships with has transitioned and wow for a while i was like i think i've got a gift (laughs) have i got a gift but i think it's an energy that i'm attracted to because i'm actually not sexually attracted to many people like i'm not this type of person that walks down the street and i'm like oh they're really fit i want to have sex with them i really there's a very few people wow that i find don't relate (laughs) i know and it's like you know what? I think it's actually more common than people think it is, but it's just that like, it's more interesting, isn't it? To be like, I fuck everything that moves, but there's an energy that I find really attractive. And it is this, this like slightly dominant male energy, but with like this soft feminine side as well. And I don't know if that's because people like a lot of trans men have experienced what it's like maybe to be a cis woman in the world at some point. And so they have this sort of like understanding mm. of femininity. And so like being in a close relationship with them is very nice because they're very kind and very like understanding. And I don't know, there's, there's an energy that I've obviously naturally been attracted to and I don't know how to describe it, but it's there <laughs> and it exists. That's wonderful. <laughs> so had you not had any like, pop culture crushes or anything really before that not really wow not really so your sexual awakening was literally the person across yeah. the road on Cockermouth High Street I like like I was really into like emo boys but I didn't like really want to have sex with them yeah I just like and also like a lot of those emo boys had that energy as well that yeah. like feminine masculine yeah. energy going on so it kind of makes sense I think like when I was a kid I really fancied Aaron Carter yeah. When I was like six years old, who does look like a butch lesbian, yeah. like six Boy. year old. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, not, it wasn't until like I started watching like the L word. And then I was like, oh, Shane's really hot, which is like the same energy as yeah. well. But no, I just like, I didn't, I don't know. I just didn't really find anyone like really that sexy. I was really into just like exploring myself, I think, for a long time mm-hmm. and figuring out who I was without anyone else. Yeah. Well, I love that you got that, like, fully, full, like, blindfold ripped off moment. <laughs> but I'm sorry, it was so traumatic for you. It was, it's really hard because it, it's like a love-hate thing. It's like, it was really, it was actually really nice to look back. And I remember my mom, again, having a conversation with me being like, it's really special that you've got this teenage romance. She was like, not a lot of people have that. And I remember her saying to me, like, I wish I'd have that because I wouldn't have had so many traumatic sexual experiences as a teenager if I'd have, like, had this teenage sweetheart. Yeah, like one person. Yeah, and so I I really am thankful for that experience. But at the same time, it was the outside's world, the outside world's perception and treatment of us that was traumatic. It wasn't the thing that yeah. we had. Yeah. What, what was your mum like with it? 
Oh my god, she's totally fine. She didn't give a shit. She thought it was really fun. Great. I think she thought it was quirky. She'd be like, my dog's a lesbian. <laughs> and there's been moments where she's been like, I wish I was a lesbian. And I'd be uh, like, you can't do this, mom. It's my thing. <laughs> I remember saying that to her when I was a teenager. <laughs> it's uh, my thing. <laughs> another gold star for your mom. <laughs> no, she didn't give a shit. I think she loved it because she was like, teenage boys are disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, they're pieces of trash. Like, don't you don't want anything to do with them. <laughs> so... Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with your next item. Music. Okay, and we are back with TT Bang and we are up to your fourth item, which is your song or album and Oh, I love this song. You've given Shapeshifters Lola's theme. Yeah, I have. This song um, is really powerful to me because it's not just a song I love, but it's like a lived experience because I'm very fortunate that I get to work with Shapeshifters a lot. But this is a song that I remember coming out as a kid because my mum loves dance music as well. So I remember when it came out originally and I remember the video and it's kind of always been there. and then for the past like five years, I think it's been three years, five, no, it's five years now. I've been working with Glitterbox um, throwing these like huge parties all over the world. And I now get to dance for Shapeshifters while they're performing this song with a live vocalist. And it's just like a real powerful song for me because I've had these experiences where I'm dancing for Shapes on these huge stages that I never thought I would have access to as a performer. Mm. I never even imagined that I would be, you know, like dancing in the Royal Albert Hall (laughs) with like cameras on me on this huge set to this song that I heard like on the radio as a kid or like in Ibiza when there's like 5,000 people in a club. And it's like a really euphoric experience. And it feels like a very full circle moment for me when I hear it. And like every time that we get to perform to it, I still find it like so exciting. It like mm-hmm. fills me with happiness. And the words, even in themselves, like, um, I'm a different person. You've turned Turn my, my world, world around. around. It's like, that's literally what I, like, I feel like drag has done for me. It's been like, I was the little girl sitting and recording the top 40 when this song was on the radio. And now I'm the person stood next to the artist, like dancing my heart out, doing this thing that I love. (laughs) It's so cheesy. It's so nice. It's so nice. Yeah. So how did, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you moved to London and like, but how did you get into that scene? How did? Literally just going out, like going out to clubs, dressing up going to queer spaces and like you make friends really easily if you're in drag like drag really opens you up to conversations with people so you know I didn't have many friends for the first two years that I lived in London because I didn't know many people because I wasn't going out and making myself visible for people and so when I started dressing up and going out in drag I really opened me up to conversations and then you know I would ask people for gigs all the time because that's what I mean, that's what you used to do. You used to like message people and be like, I want to perform, let me on your stage. And then they would say yes or no. And then you're backstage and you're talking to people and you're making connections. And then obviously the drag boom happened when Drag Race like became mainstream. And so 
because I'd already been sort of around the drag circles, when that boom happened, I was one of the people that got flung into the air with it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you're already in this stratosphere. So I just got to perform on bigger stages because drag events became bigger. Um, and, you know, working with Sync the Pink and obviously with you, Mariah, <laughs> the actual Mariah Carey. <laughs> um, and performing at the Black Cap. And yeah, before I knew it, I was like doing like glitter box when it wasn't it wasn't as big as it is now it was just at like the ministry of sound and then that exploded as well and became this like worldwide touring production it really happened like it spirals very quickly out of control drag yes. <laughs> like one minute you're like having fun and the next minute you're like sending invoices and doing your tax return yeah 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 totally frida always talks about that too our friend frida slaves who's like yeah i did my second gig and then someone asked me to host the mtv music european music video awards yeah and she's like what how it's just it literally takes one person to see you yeah. like i i always say that like the moment where it became serious for me was like i was djing at the black cap i used to dj that every weekend and then we would bring over the drag race girls and it would sell out because that was when the boom happened because at first it didn't use to sell out and then suddenly we were doing like three nights in a row and it's selling out. And someone that worked for a big corporation, am I allowed to say corporation's name? Yeah. So someone that worked for Google came to one of the events and he was like, I want to book you to DJ our parade float um, for Pride. And it was literally like the most amount of money anyone had ever paid me to do anything. Mm -hmm. Like... Before that, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm getting a hundred pounds to DJ. That's how much money. Um, and then suddenly it was like, oh, like this is actual money. Like you need to start telling the tax man what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, from that, then they'd be like, we want to, we want to book you to DJ our party at the roundhouse with years and years. And then before you know it, like you're just a name and you've done it. And it, like, it does happen. It just literally takes one person to see you. And give you a platform. And yeah, I remember you were one of the first people I saw like getting the corporate money. I was like, <laughs> oh, there's like a, there's something viable there. Like but that was because drag was becoming more mainstream. Yeah. So those corporate like events and stuff, they wanted to be having, having the new cool thing yeah. involved in their parties. And it was, it was literally just fluke. Like it was not planned. It was just something that happened organically and yeah. I had no control over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it did eventually happen for me as well. Like probably a, a year later, yeah. just like, yeah, you suddenly realize you do have access to, it just takes a friend of a friend who yeah. needs someone to work their office Christmas party and you get recommended. And then, and then the next time you ask for a little bit more money and like, before you know it, you can actually make a bit of cash. Yeah. And I just like, hadn't even realized my own worth until that point. Like yeah. I didn't realize that like people actually thought that what you're doing was worth anything. <laughs> like, cause for me, I, I didn't go into it being like, I wouldn't make loads of money. I feel like now people know that you can make money in drag. And so they aspire to that. But because I was just doing it because I wanted to do it, it was like a real shock to me that that you, this was a viable career. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time someone offers you a real paycheck, you're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I literally told like, oh my God, this is so funny. So like I DJed this like advertising festival in Cannes for Google and it, for YouTube, it was actually YouTube, which is basically the same thing. Um, and 
they paid me like the most money I'd ever had in my entire life. I mean, it was a lot, but it's not like, it's not like tens of thousands, mm-hmm. but I had never had that much money. And I literally sat down in front of like the head of Google and I was like, I just want to let you know that you've changed my life. <laughs> because I, until that point, I was literally living in my overdraft every single month. Like I, I've lived in London since I was 18. I didn't have like money or. Oh my. And you like, I literally told them that. And that was like, I basically spent the whole, all of the paycheck on going to Japan because that was my dream. My dream was to like go to Japan and go shopping. And I told them, I was like, because of you, I get to live my dream and go to Japan. And they were so touched by it that they offered to pay for my hotels. (laughs) (laughs) Because to them, it's literally nothing. But like that did like, and I, I think like as a, it, that really shows like your vulnerability as a queer person that like that one tiny corporate gig and these corporate companies have so much money, but even that much money to a queer person can change their life. Mm-hmm. And it's not even a lot to these huge businesses. Mm-hmm. So now I don't feel bad at all when I'm like, pay me this much money <laughs> because I'm like, actually, it's nothing to you. Yeah, fuck you, pay me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, back to Glitterbox and Lola's theme. Yeah. You were in an amazing documentary about yeah, was in a, yeah, a year ago? No, it was like this year. No, this year. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like I, was like, I know it was during right. the lockdown, but like which <laughs> time one? is elastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, with Billy Porter and Sister Sledge and Nikki Siano and all of these amazing historical people that created like the disco and house movement, and then it kind of tells the history of the queer community and the latin and black community in new york and how they started this underground subculture of disco and house and through these amazing parties and it's evolved to the modern day and now and how my personal journey ties into it and my sister lucy fizz and Uh misfit who are my siblings um and how our queer experiences all kind of tie into that history it's really amazing. I feel like it's a really cool, like, archival piece. Like, I'll look back at it when I'm an old lady and I'll be like, whoa, I used to go to some sick parties. <laughs> One thing watching that was just, it made me want to go to a club so yeah. bad. The music is so great in it. And yeah. your story is wonderful. Like, it really, you touch on some of the stuff you've already touched on today, but um, it, you, yeah, you bring so much joy to that film. And it is just a reminder of how important queer spaces are for the arts and for creatives and not just for like us as people to be able to find our communities and find where we belong but also for like culture and how much culture comes out of nightlife and how much art and music and dance and so many things that inspire the mainstream come from these queer spaces and it's really good to yeah like where would fashion be yeah exactly where would fashion be and like all of the things that we take for granted now that are in tvs and movies about you know queer culture all of those things originate in nightclubs, you know, even like drag race, like drag wouldn't exist without nightclub spaces yeah. and like these hubs of creativity and just a place where people feel empowered to be themselves. And yeah, I'm really proud of the documentary. It's amazing. I am really proud. <laughs> and um, I love that. Yeah, you've had that full circle moment with Shapeshifters yeah. and Lois, because that is an incredible song. And Shapes is like such a cool person and like you know a lot of the DJs that DJ at Glitterbox they've been around for a really really long time like yeah like since I was a kid and they come from a different time and it's really nice because you know although he's a a cis white man straight man 
they're really willing to learn and to like get to know us as individuals. And like, I have a personal relationship with shapeshifters and like I'd go around to his house for a barbecue and stuff. And you're like, it's really nice that people are giving us space within Mm. these spaces, like Mm. that we can come together as like queer people and also like the mainstream and we can create a space where everybody can coexist Mm -hmm. and have a fabulous time. Love that. Thanks. Kiki's Queer Utopia. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to your last item. Wild card. And last up is your wild card. And you have said Drag SOS. A TV show you're on. Yeah, it feels like a thousand years ago. I mean, time has become very expansive in my mind. But Drag SOS was the biggest deal for me at the time. I mean, I was from what I know, the first self-identifying female drag queen on mainstream TV, which I didn't know until someone pointed out. So maybe it's not true, but I'm pretty sure it's true. (laughs) Apart from like Cher. (laughs) I don't think she self-identifies as a drag queen. Uh, Dolly Parton does sometimes. Sometimes. Well, she always says like, if I was a man, I would be a drag queen. And I'm like, gender Dolly. Yeah. (laughs) Why so gendered? That's amazing. So you were, well, I think take it until someone challenges you. I have been. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, I mean, to have a show like on a channel that is so mainstream, give you space is so empowering. But I did feel a huge responsibility to represent an entire community. And I'm really thankful for the Family Gorgeous because they really fought to have me on that show. Like Cheddar literally said, I'm not doing this unless we have this representation because it's so important, especially when you're bringing drag to, you know, a lot of cis women, like you need, they need to be able to see themselves in the people that are putting them in drag. Otherwise it doesn't, they can't connect. And what became very apparent when we were doing the show is that the people that needed drag the most were actually those cisgendered women. Well, so Tell people listening the premise of the show. So the premise not. of the show is we're a fabulous gaggle of drag queens on a little bus and we tour around the UK. You're on Spice Bus. Somewhere. We're basically on Spice Bus. Yeah. Yeah. Very full circle moment. <laughs> <laughs> Although it wasn't as big on the inside as, <laughs> as the Spice Bus was. Um, and we travel around the UK and meet people who are in need of a bit of encouragement and maybe just need space to explore themselves and we transform them into fabulous drag queens and put on a show and help to empower them a bit (laughs) so yeah we really we we met a diverse group of people all sort of genders and all sexualities and orientations but what we really recognized very quickly is that those cis women were the ones who felt the least empowered to take up space that you know you know going to a dad who's the father of a queer child and putting them in drag so they can feel what their child feels like that is really powerful as well but on a really personal and like deep healing for that person the cis women were the ones that needed it the most because they are the ones who are constantly being criticized by the mainstream who live under the constraints of what femininity is meant to be and have had all these you know they're the ones that had a lot of the body image issues and didn't feel like they could be colorful and expressive because of how society has treated them Mm -hmm. as cis women. So I I felt very thankful for that experience. It was also a very good reminder as to how powerful drag is because we live within the drag community. I think sometimes we can become quite cynical about drag. (laughs) And we forget how transformative it is 
for people when they first do it because we're so used to it and everybody we're around is a drag queen. But being able to see that in someone else and being like, oh, this is really powerful. Like it really does set you free. It was a really good reminder for me on a personal level of how powerful it can be. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, that's definitely, I think the reason, I mean, I don't, I'm not a cis woman, so I don't know, but I hypothesize that the reason that so many cis women uh, are interested in drag is because of that escapism and freedom that from the like, yeah, yeah. the gender roles that we've been told. And a lot of them like just needed to have permission. Like a lot of them just be, just needed to literally physically be told, you're allowed to do this. Yeah. yeah. Because they, they're not told that. They're not told they're allowed to take up space. And, you know, uh, men are constantly, you know, even like queer, like gay men, you know, they, yeah, they deal with the suppression of like uh, homophobia, but in a lot of spaces, they can get away with taking up a lot more space. 100%. And it's allowed that they're allowed to be flamboyant and loud, but for so many women, it's just not, and they're not told like you can take up space. Yeah. yeah how how was it received by people like because most people have never met a woman who does drag as yeah. a woman so how how was that and received? so many of them were just like oh i didn't know women could do drag and i'd be like yeah gender's a construct and they'd be like fine that's simple like, fine. Like, yeah. like it's that simple as soon as you tell people they're just like cool fine yeah, right. get it. yeah okay cool yeah yeah <laughs> hey but like femininity is yours to play with as well you're the one who has to yeah. live yeah. by all these social rules of course you can make fun of it yes and it's as simple as like saying to women like yeah you can yeah and then they're totally fine with it most people are pretty accepting like if you give them space to be accepting and let them ask questions yes yeah you just don't want to shame people for what they don't yeah. know or haven't experienced and how how does it feel for you in the present day being a woman who does drag what's that like um it's complex <laughs> i feel like um sometimes especially in recent years um it can be quite dysphoric at times because so much of the like although the mainstream before was all like male drag queens now because there's so many more of them it feels more dysphoric than it used to which is like really complicated i mean i have like really complex thoughts anytime there's like a new season of drag race out i have like really complex like thoughts in my mind where i'm like should i be doing this should i not be doing this and i think like a lot of queer women like me do feel like that about their drag at that time of year because it's hard but the more of them there are in the mainstream and you don't see yourself being given a seat at the table, mm. it does make your work, your self-worth go down. And, you know, like I am very confident, but of course I have days where I'm like, I don't know if I can be asked anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it, you do just have to sort of snap yourself out of it, especially because now people are coming into the industry being like, I want to be a drag queen. Yes. And you're like, oh, man. It's harder than that. Yeah. It's, hard. it's like so much more complex. And when a lot of these like young cis gay men get really far and are given loads and loads of platforms really, really quickly, when you're like a queer woman and you're not being given those platforms, it just makes you doubt yourself. So yeah, it's very complex. I mean, I'm going to keep going with it and see how it goes. <laughs> but I do keep joking about being post-drag. Right. <laughs> Like, I totally 
appreciate that. And, you know, I have, I feel guilt sometimes because I feel like I have jumped past people unfairly. Like I wasn't doing drag nearly as long as I feel like someone should be, have been doing drag before I got on drag race and was given opportunities. And like, that's not, it's not fair. But that said, like you're, you're obviously doing something right because the oh, opportunities yeah. are, yeah, uh, absolutely. and you know, you're on, um, you're on a TV show coming up later. Yeah, this I year. am. So I don't that- know because, like, I love, I like, I love that I get all these opportunities. It's obviously amazing, but then I also feel like a huge burden that I have to represent and speak up for like an entire community. Yeah. When actually, I'm like, if there was a few more of us allowed in, mm. like, I wouldn't have to carry this whole like huge burden and constantly have the same conversations all the time about why women can do drag because, like, it gets a bit boring after a while yeah. as well. <laughs> like, yeah. I actually want to say more, but I don't feel like I have the space to say more yet because yeah. this fight still isn't over. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's very complicated. But babe, as soon as there's more, they'll just start asking you how long it takes you to do your makeup instead. Like they'll yeah. just give you the other boring questions. Yeah. <laughs> Move into a different area. There's just a whole new slew of yeah. boring questions waiting. <laughs> it's so funny because, like, obviously, like maybe times are changing. Maybe we're going to see more representation on Drag Race, and then people are like, "What are you like? What are you going to do after they allow representation?" I'm like, "I don't know yet," because I literally haven't like done drag in a world where I haven't have to, had to be like shouting about how women are allowed to do drag mm. i'm like what is the future going to bring for me like what am i going to do next and i can't i can't wait to see mm. and i feel like that i have a lot more to say yes than just like women can do drag women can do drag women can do drag and i feel like you know i'm being held back because i'm still having the same conversation but like once we see that diversity hopefully i'll be able to maybe i'll just like rebrand post-drag post-drag well i i think that's me told Um, (laughs) sorry for asking you no 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 no. and he's like i had another conversation recently on a podcast with someone else and i said the same thing and they apologized to me afterwards as well i'm like it's actually not your fault like it's it's like the rest of society's fault the fact that we don't have the other representation means that we keep having to have these conversations and like I just want to chat about something else now. Can we chat about Spice for the movie? <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Titi, I really appreciate all of those stories. Thank you so much for sharing them all. It was fun. Uh, yeah, it was great. Before you go, do you want to play a game of But Is It Queer? Yeah, go on. Okay, I'll go first. You ready? Uh, but Is It Queer? Combat boots. Yes. I think they are. I think that there's a part of queer culture that has reclaimed the the combat boots. Yeah, I think so too. They can definitely be worn in a non-queer way. Oh, yeah. But like when a queer wears them, it is very queer. Yeah, it is very queer. It's very kinky. Yeah, very kinky. Or just like, yeah, could be quite punk. But then there is that element of like the military. Yeah. Which but can it, be very unqueer. But then also can be queer at the same time. It's very confusing, like, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> well, fetish, fetish, all yeah. fetishes are confusing. Yeah. Like, Similarly, is it queer? Cowboy boots. Ooh. So, like, five years ago, I would have said 100% yes. I wonder if they've gone a little bit yeah. past now. 
basically, I think things are queer for a very limited period of time before straight world takes them. Oh, and then, yeah, and then yeah. it takes another two decades before they can be queer again. Two decades? Yeah, something like oh that. Oh my God, I have to put cowboy boots away for two decades. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know if cowboy boots have crossed the line yet. They're like teetering. Yeah. How do you feel? I feel like they're teetering. I feel like because we've got the Tom of Finland reference, like that will always be there. Yes. I feel like Little Nas X has done a lot for the cowboy boots. You're well. right, actually. Yeah. You're they, right. They've really reclaimed the cowboy boot from the mainstream, I think. Okay, great. Sense. Let's find cowboy boots queer. Yeah. Also, they remind me of Dolly Parton. So. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but any any association there, it's going to be queer. Um, I'm going to just keep this footwear theme going. Go on then. Uh, Crocs. I think Ginny Lemon made Crocs queer. <laughs> <laughs> she has reclaimed the crop. Uh, yeah. Like, there has been a cock explosion since she wore crop. I know. I saw some platform crocs the other day. Yeah. I feel like th- that Ginny really brought them back and yeah. reclaimed them. <laughs> I totally agree. Queer. Queer. <laughs> um, what can I think of? Oh, it's hard, you know. Okay. I should have been prepared. I've got another one. I've got another footwear. Um, another footwear? <laughs> yeah, I've got another footwear. Um, Socks in sandals. Hmm. I like a sock and a sandal. I don't know if all queer people do. That's okay. You don't need to speak for all queer people. (laughs) Do I not? (laughs) It's my duty to speak for the people. (laughs) Do you not think that, like, when you think of socks and sandals, though, you also think of Jesus? No, because he no. didn't wear socks. Oh, yeah, he didn't have socks. <laughs> he, was, he was famously sockless. Really? I think so. I don't think oh socks have been invented. socks and sandals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Just, fine. No, fine. Jesus is there on the cross with like a sports yeah. sock. Yeah, Nike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think Jesus himself, anyway, was probably a bit queer. Oh yeah, totally queer. Yeah. Um, I think socks and sandals are are, are queer. Okay. I, th- I think basically Rule any breaking. socks. I think whenever you wear a sock with inappropriate footwear, it's queer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when my mom was a stripper, she used to be really, really fond of a frilly sock with a a PVC heel. Yeah, that's so queer. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> so queer. Or like a sports sock with like a clear stripper shoe. I love. Yeah, I love a sports sock and a stiletto. Do you like sniffing sports socks? No. Okay. That's very queer. That's also very <laughs> queer. <laughs> um, have you got one more for me? Um, okay. Are they queer? Flip-flops. <laughs> no. No. I think we finally found the unqueer yeah. footwear. <laughs> the unqueer footwear. <laughs> Flip-flops are so strange to me. Yeah. They're... I don't like to have something I have trained my husband out of wearing flip-flops, and every now and then he still will pull them out on holiday. He's from St. Albans. Really? And he wears flip-flops? Yeah. I don't think they're that British. No, but he just, he likes them on a holiday, and like, I'm always like, oh, I just have to, I pretend <gasps> I do not see what it. What about Birkenstock? Uh, a Birkenstock can be queer, yeah. but it's, it takes a certain kind of like lesbian energy. Oh yeah! So for ages, I was like, Birkenstocks are a lesbian shoe, and then I got a pair of Birkenstocks. 
<laughs> but like the foam ones. So there's like cool ones they do where they're all like bright colors and the whole thing is one color and they're made of foam. You're like, I swear they're cool. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm like making them cool. And now me and my girlfriend are those people that wear Birkenstocks around the house. Super queer. Super queer. But yeah, we're also, I feel like we have to reclaim like lesbianism as a good thing because it really has a bad rep. Oh my God, babe. Gay men especially are so mean about lesbians. I love lesbians. Yeah, you do because you know. (laughs) Some people don't know. like lesbians? Loads of people. Why are we the butt of like so many jokes, especially by drag queens? Like lesbians are always the joke. They're always this like sexless, like we U-Haul, we nest. We don't spend money in queer venues. I've literally had like queer venues. Well, you do nest and you do U-Haul. Not all of us. Not all of us. But I think that is like a stereotype that needs to like shift. Okay. Especially the younger generation, because I feel like there has been a narrative for a long time that we're really boring. And oh, actually, we're God, not. No. We're really high camp. Yeah, and lesbians are the coolest people I know. Lesbians are like goals to me. <laughs> I was like, gold. And then I was like... Also gold. <laughs> uh, no, goals. Like, like the political activism that I need, the, like, con- the social consciousness for the queer community, and so fun. And also, I feel like like turfs kind of taken over like yeah, well, the word lesbian a bit that. so yeah. we need to take it back yeah no turfs can't have so it. let's all start wearing birkenstocks okay great. <laughs> deal <laughs> solidarity with lesbians yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love that okay um well your foot fetishist friend from your childhood would have loved that <laughs> oh he's married now and i was oh, like kids nice. and i don't think he participates in like but he maybe he does i don't know yeah Hopefully he does. Yeah. Hopefully he still has an outlet. Um, thank you, Titi, so much for being on the podcast. <laughs> it's okay. Today. It was a delight. Where can people support you, follow you? Just go on social media and put in Titi Bang and I'll be there. Great. <laughs> and you can catch Titi on... Oh, yeah! On a little TV show. Drag Karaoke Club on ITV2. Yes, you can watch you? us get very drunk together and sing some songs. You get really drunk. Okay. I don't. I'm sorry. Just I'm me. a professional. Just speak for myself. <laughs> <laughs> no. Thank you so much, Gigi. Thank you. I love you. Love you too. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Things That Made Me Queer. If you liked it, please consider giving it a little subscribe or a share on your Instagram stories or a tweet. You know, it all really helps. And I would just love to get these queer thoughts out into the world. Um, I also would love to hear the things that made you queer. So please let me know those in a tweet or DM and I'll share them on a future episode. See you next week. Until then, I've been Crystal. Stay sparkly, transparent, and cheap. Ooh, and queer too, of course. Our theme song is Something Like Summer by Caveboy. The Things That Made Me Queer is a World of Wonder production.